Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. I don't know about you, but when that, when that one song and my wife was singing, yes. I felt as if right at that moment, that's what the, I mean, the spirit just hit. You didn't feel that, I worried about you. And you didn't feel that in this room. Power. You feel that? Yes. 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 Well, you were not here two weeks ago, last week. How about last week? The Baptist and that. It was a great Sunday. The first of many in this place. Yeah. You know, Uh, two weeks ago, something interesting happened to segue into where I'm taking us today. Uh, I was finishing up our series on technology, and kind of, you know, in that week in preparing for that final sermon, I really felt as if God was putting on my heart to talk about the exponential growth and the rate of explosion in the field of technology and how we're moving as a people, right, looking culturally, looking socially through the grid of the Bible, giving a theological framework for where we're headed as a society. I had 40 slides, and I was really surprised. I was very taken back. I didn't expect there to be such a response from people that said, you know what, I I would love for us to really kind of stay on this topic. So I'm, I'm starting technically a new series, but it's not a new series. I never say this because I was the preacher, but if you want to listen from two weeks ago, I had a lot, I had 40 PowerPoint slides. I went into a lot of science. I went into a lot of technology, artificial intelligence on where we are today and where the leading experts say we're going to be in the near future and how we feel as a church and how we're just, you know, kind of in in the river of what other people in the body of Christ are saying too, that we're really in the last days. And the title of this is going to be Back to the Future. Why don't you just say to your neighbor next to you, we're going back to the future, right? We're going back to the future. You get it. I was just thinking about it in one of my classes during the week. I don't know. Somehow the movie came up. How many of you are fans of the movie, the trilogy? Right? Incredible. And I said, you know what? It's a perfect title for us to go back into the Bible and to see what some of the ancient prophecies say about where we are today and where we're moving forward to. You with me? And I thought it was wild. I I came across an article in the New York Times Magazine. Ready for the title? Here it is. The apocalypse market is booming. And in there, they talked about all the eschatological, you know, eschatology is study of the end times, apocalyptic, right? This new genre, really, in movies that we've seen a proliferation in the last 20 years. And get this. Right? They said in the article that as of today, there are almost 300 end-of-the-world movies that have been produced, with more than 100 of them appearing since 2000. I mean, really incredible. I mean, I just, I just looked at a few of them. I said, you know, I, on my own, How It Ends is a movie that just... And these movies are usually terrible. I never watch these movies, and you shouldn't either, because they're awful. They're awful. Right? Are they ever any good? I don't think so. Terminator 100, Terminator Genesis, 
Uh, Mad Max Fury, that was actually a good one. Mad Max, that was, that was really good, by the way. If you haven't watched that, you need to watch that. Um, and, and then, of course, the, the, the top theme would be these, the zombie apocalypse, right? Like the, the Walking Dead, right? And the, the Walkers, right? And for years, the show is still on TV. And this, this dystopian, you know, idea that society is in upheaval. And I bring that up at the outset of this, you know, sermon, because I think eternity, the Bible says eternity is set in the hearts of men. And I think that Hollywood and society, they understand, they may not fully understand, but we're moving at breakneck speed towards really the second coming of Christ. We are. And I said to you two weeks ago, the problem is, when I say that, and Pastor Linda said it before, the problem is we've heard so many people say they know exactly when that's going to happen and that couldn't be any further from the truth. You look, I mean, do you think it's a coincidence that we see all these movies that, that you know, are out there and they, you know, they've given rise at the same exact time? Do you think it's a coincidence that they've given rise you know, with all of the chaotic geopolitics that we see in the world? Look at all the chaos. How about the former Soviet leader? I read this in Time magazine. Can I show you? Mikhail Gorbachev. This is what Gorbachev said at the beginning of this year. He said in the Time magazine article, it all looks as if the world is preparing for war. Not a Christian. Somebody that doesn't know the Bible, but he thinks just looking at the world, it looks that way. The world is quickly moving toward a point of no return. And all one has to do is look to the Middle East. Israel! I can't believe I'm preaching a sermon I never thought I would preach before. I have never preached this type of sermon before, ever. Pastor Linda is the most excited person in the room. She's been waiting for a long time for her son, the preacher, to go in this direction. And I'm going to pray even before we get into it. Before one scripture is read this morning, there is a beautiful, lovely atmosphere. This is a wonderful, I feel it this morning. God wants to do something in here today. And I feel as if God wants to say, listen, this is what God wants to do. God told me, I didn't hear the audible voice of God, but I felt it in my spirit. God wants us to walk out of here today with a new sense of awe and wonderment of how great and how sovereign he is. That's what he wants. And Lord, I ask right now, Father, I ask that nothing would hinder your word this morning, that your word would go forth with power. Lord, you would anoint the speaker's lips right now. Father, you would put this together. This is how you gave me this. And Lord, may we wake up and get get up from our apathy and realize the dire time, the, the, the need for us to be awake to what is happening. May we understand the times. May we understand the seasons. May we be prayerful. May we be connected. May we be a people that are ready to rock and roll with whatever we see. Lord, that we wouldn't be dumbfounded. We wouldn't be shocked, but we would be prepared for the days that are coming ahead. May it be in your precious name. Amen. You know, there's a, there's a great scripture, and it's one of my favorites in the Old Testament. I know Pastor Linda has used it before. In, in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, I love this passage, and it couldn't be any more timely for us today. It says, from the, the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives, 
all these men, all 200 of these men, understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. In Israel, at that time, in ancient times, there was a group of men that understood the sons of Issachar, that they looked around and they saw the apostasy, and they saw the children of Israel falling away from God, but they understood the times in which they lived. They looked around and they could see things happening. What about what Jesus said in in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew? He said this in chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. One day the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. What's wrong with you, teachers of the law? You understand everything. You've been steeped in tradition, and you understand the Torah better than everyone, but you steep all these rules and regulations. You're missing everything. You're missing that I'm the Messiah, first of all, but you're also missing the signs that are all around you. Do you know? Can I just deviate already? Do you know that the enemy wants to keep us in a... just keep us totally asleep? You know what the word apathy means in Greek? Can I just take us here for a second? The word apathy, it's actually made up two Greek words, the letter A and then pathos. And that word, pathos, it means passion. And A means a lack of passion. Apathy is just a lack of passion. And I really feel as if this is an area where we just don't really have any passion. We have passion to sit in front of a TV set and watch the latest, greatest show that is on there. We don't have a lot of passion to get into the Word and study the times in which we live. Things that are really important because the devil wants to, as one writer said, he has chloroformed the atmosphere of this day. Chloroformed it. Keep us asleep. Keep us going through the daily routine and think this is all you're going to see and tomorrow it's going to be the same thing and don't look around you at wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences. Don't look at any of the fires that are happening over there. Those don't mean anything. Nothing is going to change. He wants us to sleep. Stay asleep, church. Stay asleep. Did you know there are over 300 verses in the New Testament about the second coming of Christ? In the New Testament, that means about one in 30 verses in the New Testament have to do with the second coming of Christ. That's a lot. And I know there are some people, you know what they say, why is any of this relevant? End times, prophecy from, you know, and I say, it couldn't be any more relevant today for us. And just give it some time. Because as time continues to move on, you will see how relevant Old Testament prophecy is, and everything that the Lord said would come to pass is coming to pass right before our very eyes, and there's more to come. But we miss it. Not totally our fault. We leave here, we come to church, and maybe we meet in a hill house, or we're in a Bible study, but it's not enough. We need to be a people that are constantly evaluating, constantly looking at everything that we see. And I don't think there's any greater sign, and this is where I said to you before I alluded to this, I've never preached a sermon really just on Israel. 
I've never preached this sermon just really on Israel and the signs for us as Christians about the second coming. And here it is. You look at this little country, right? And the top left corner, you look at the Middle East and you look at the history of this little country, these few million people. And how amazing, can I, we're going to wade through some history today. This is not a normal sermon. You know my history bent, my background. I'm not going to preach a lot today. I'm going to teach. And I feel when I give us this history, that's when I said to you, I want us to walk out with a sense of awe and wonderment in all that God has done and what he's going to do. Did you ever think about the fact when you read the Bible, any of you have any Philistines that live near you in your neighborhood? Does anyone have, you have an Amalekite that lives near you? Any Jebusites? Any Canaanites? Any Cellulites? Any people? I figure Thanksgiving's coming up next week, right? So the Cellulites are coming, right? You think about it though. How come there are none of those ites and Philistines in our neighborhoods anywhere on the face of the planet, but we still have the Jewish people here today? thriving and flourishing. How could that possibly be through thousands of years of persecution and anti-Semitism and people trying to eradicate them from the face of the earth that they're still here today? But God. But God. And you go all the way back. You go to the beginning of time. Why are they still here? Because God made a promise in the beginning to Abraham. I, have, I only have like 35 slides today. All right? So I don't have quite 40, but I have 30. And I'm using at least 32 of them. I know that. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky. Count the stars. If you can, Abram. If you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Here's our man. Look up into the sky. That's how many descendants you have. This is a promise. And every Jew goes back to the promise of what God said to Abraham. You go move forward and look what he said to Solomon, still in the Old Testament. Then the Lord gave this message to Solomon. Concerning this temple you are building, if you keep all my decrees and regulations and obey all my commands... I will fulfill through you the promise I made to your father David. I will live among the Israelites and will never abandon my people Israel. Did you hear that? In the Bible, God said thousands of years ago, I will never abandon my people Israel. They are a chosen people. God, and for whatever reason, we don't know. And it doesn't mean Israel is perfect. They're far from perfect. But this is who God has chosen to work through in human history. And if that's the case, then it's important for us to get behind that. And less than four decades, put a picture up, less than four decades after the crucifixion, And the Romans put down the final insurrection in Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple in 70 AD, right? They destroyed the temple and they carted off the conquered Jewish slaves to the farthest corners of the empire. They spread them out and they were scattered everywhere. The Romans renamed this place Palestine and for all intents and purposes, they thought the nation of Israel was dead forever. It was not going to be dead for a few years, 
Not for a couple of hundred years. They thought that the children of Israel were done. That was it. The last hurrah. It's over. It's all over. But God had other plans. Thank God for that. And you look. Look at some of them. The, the promises in the Bible of restoration. God's promises. Thousands of years ago, God promised to call his people. Look at this. From among the nations. Ezekiel 39 Ezekiel 37, the prophet in the, in the Old Testament, 37 to 39, there's so much there. There's only so much I can hit really in one sermon. From the farthest corners of the earth, in Isaiah, from north, south, east, and west, Psalm 107, he promised the Jewish people would survive and thrive despite the hardships they faced. Isaiah 43, finally, God promised, through, though scattered among the nations, his people would never forget him, And he would bring them back into the land of Israel. The Bible is replete with passages and promises of what he would do with the children of Israel. What he was going to do with this nation. And many times it looked bleak in history. It it looked like there was no possible way that the children of Israel would ever be a unified state. Would ever come back to where they were thousands of years ago just didn't look that way. And God said, I have other plans. What are the chances that these people would remain and have intact? They would keep their distinct cultural and religious identity through all the centuries. It looks like the chances weren't really that good. Now can I walk us through some history? I told you, remember, this is not a regular sermon, so stay awake. And when we start, I want to take us to 1917. Can I just, can we walk through for the remainder of the sermon? I want to just walk us through the 20th century and some key events. And then I want to bring it to today, what's happening in Israel and why it's relevant for us as Christians. Can we do that? All right. In 1917, a monumental event took place on November 2nd. Foreign Secretary Lord Arthur James Balfour, right, writes an important letter to Britain's most illustrious Jewish resident citizen, Baron Lionel Walter Rothschild, and he expressed Britain's support for a Jewish homeland in Palestine. Are you with me? 1917, end of World War I. Britain, thank God for Britain. We don't talk about this. This is a piece of history that many people don't even know happened. If it wasn't for the Balfour Declaration in 1917 that said we are setting up in Palestine a place for the Jews to go and congregate and to have their own state, who knows? God was using even them. And so it happened. Now you fast forward from there. That is 1917. And you had people, remember, they were scattered, Jewish people. They, they, they still had their distinct cultural and religious identity, but some of them are now gathering in Israel, what is today Israel, right? And now you fast forward. What happened pre-World War II into World War II? The Holocaust. You take the Holocaust, and now Hitler exterminated 6 million Jews, He eradicated 10 million people 
from the face of the planet. But six million Jews, he wanted to, 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 to cleanse Germany and eventually cleanse the world of all Jews, right? But here's the best part of the story. After the Holocaust, there were some survivors, right? Men, women, and children. How many of you have ever heard the story of the SS Exodus? Here is a picture of the SS Exodus. This is a picture from 1947. You see, there was a ship where there were refugees who had survived the Holocaust. 4,515 people were on board this ship. You see, they were in the Holocaust. They were in the concentration camps. And they said, we can't go back to Europe. Our houses have been burned down. The Nazis have stolen. They've taken away everything that was valuable, everything that we own. And they said, we're going to go to Palestine because we remember what the Balfour Declaration said in 1917. We're going to go there and we'll find refuge. But the problem was, as the ship got close to Palestine, what do you think happened? The Royal Navy, England is still in charge. I'm going fast. England is still in charge there. And the Royal Navy says, you can't come. You're not to step foot. All 4,515 people on board that ship, they had endured hell in the concentration camps. Many of them still emaciated. They had nothing on this planet, and they were denied refuge in a place that they should have been allowed to call home. And the boat was turned around, and Britain said, send that ship back to Europe, and it was sent back to an island called Cyprus, where they, England, set up camps for them. And there they are, these Jewish people, and they realized rather quickly that England really wasn't their friend. And they were not going to honor the Balfour Declaration, which was from 1917. So here you go. You have all of these Jewish people. And why did England do it? Can I tell you why England did it? They acquiesced to all of the threats from the Arab nations. And the Arab nations said in 1947, we don't want the Jewish people coming back here. Send them anywhere but here. And England listened. This is real history, friends. You tell me. Can I just pause for one second? I have a lot more, but... You tell me how there's not a war that we can't see with our physical eyes, but we need to see with our spiritual eyes. Why would there be? Did you realize that when it comes to even Jerusalem, it is the one city in the world where there have been more fights over than any city anywhere else in the world. It's Israel. All of the eyes of the world have to be on Israel, and namely Jerusalem, because God said, these are my chosen people, and this is where they're going to reside. And last time I checked, there's an enemy, and the enemy says, if that's who you love, that's who I'm going to hate, and I'm going to try to exterminate the Jews any way I can. And you look it all through history, and that's what the enemy has tried to do. There is a war that is taking place, and the war is still going on today for Israel and Jerusalem, the Jewish people, God's people. Still going on today. Slow down, preacher. So the Jews began to resist British occupation. You know what Britain said after this? Britain was done. 1940s, Britain says, we are absolutely done trying to keep peace with the Israelis that are here, the Palestinians, all these Arab nations that don't want them. You know what we're going to do? We're going to say bye. Sayonara. 
You can figure it out all on your own. And then one of the greatest momentous days in not only Israel's history, but in the history of the world. Take a look at this picture. This is an actual picture taken from May 14th, 1948. Now, one day before the expiration of the British mandate over Palestine, they know, the Jews realize, Britain is leaving. This is their time. This is their moment. And you see up there, you see David Ben-Gurion, who would become the first leader of Israel. And there he is. I, I have, you can't see the whole picture, but you see a banner with the Star of David, and there was one that was on the other side. He stood up on May 14, 1948, and declared that Israel was independent and was its own nation, and they drafted the Israeli Declaration of Independence, and he read that in Tel Aviv, at the Tel Aviv Museum, and there were throngs and throngs of people that were there, and they were celebrating because they knew what the prophecies had said in the Old Testament about the children of Israel coming back to their home. Homeland, And here it was, a date in terms of prophecy. God said this date was going to happen. This was going to happen. And things would be changing right after this. Incredible. For the second time in history, they came back into their land after being forcibly removed. This is what he said. This is what Gurion said right after this. He said, in order to be a realist, you must believe in miracles. In order to be a realist, you must believe in miracles. I think we sang a song this morning about the God of miracles. Well, you're looking at a picture of one from 1948 because there is no rhyme or reason how these 2.5 million people in the 1940s should ever have won their independence and become a sovereign nation but God. But God, there's no other way to explain it, friends. But it, indeed, it happened. It happened. How about Harry Truman? Are you enjoying this? I'm giving you a lot of history. Harry Truman. Harry Truman on that exact day. Did you know our president? I love Truman. And I, I'm so thankful and blown away that our president, that U.S. President Truman, on that exact day, this is what he said. You can't see it up there. But he said, this government has been informed that a Jewish state has been proclaimed in Palestine and recognition has been requested by the provisional government thereof. The United States recognizes the provisional government as the de facto authority of the new state of Israel. Why do you think the United States has been blessed? Because we have backed up God's people in Israel. And the day that we stop doing that... It's the day that we're not going to be blessed as a people. Wait till I end today. Wait till I end. Look at what the Bible says. Can I just tell you what this is what the Bible says? Thousands of years before, who has ever heard of such things? This is 1900 years. The Jewish people have been scattered. Who has ever heard of such things, Isaiah said? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yes. Yes, it happened. The Bible is real. These were written, these prophecies were written thousands of years prior. How about this one? Go to Ezekiel 38. After many days you will be visited in the latter years... 
you will come back into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. In the latter years. That's where we are in history, friends. The latter years. Prophecy points to that. That this happened. We don't know the exact time Christ is coming back, but we can know the season. We're in that season. We right now are in that season. And then let's, let's take it to, this is where I got stuck all week. How many of you are familiar with the Six-Day War? I, 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 knew, I knew about the, I've never had to teach the Six-Day War at school. I knew about the Six-Day War a little bit, but it gave me studying it. I immersed myself just reading about it, looking at documentaries on it, blown away with the sovereignty of God. And let me give you the background of this. You see, all these Muslim nations would never recognize Israel as being its own state, its own country. They would never do that. Even still today with Jerusalem. Did you know all these countries fail? They refuse to recognize that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. I wonder why that is. Is that just a coincidence? I don't think so, friends. There is a real battle that's going on in the heavenlies. On May 15th, 1967, Israel's independence, celebrating their independence, they would be wrought with tension for a three-week period of time because Egypt began sending troops into the Sinai Peninsula, which is now today southern Israel. So Egypt, which was the most, had the most powerful military in the Middle East in 1967, they said, we're going to go to war with Israel and we're going to annihilate Israel. I said to you, America has stood by Israel at times, but there have been times in our history where we have not. And 1967, shame on us, was one of them. Shame on America. Lyndon Johnson was the president. Some of you are older than me and you remember this. We were embroiled in the Vietnam War and Israel was looking around who was going to help us because all of the Arab countries, Iraq and Syria and Lebanon and Jordan and Egypt, they said, we are going to annihilate Israel. And there was silence on the world front because the United States and France and England said, we're not going to step in and intervene. You're on your own. And here, we're God's people. Once again, are they up to the challenge? Will they trust in God? Will God come through? Will God save the day? Well, they were under attack and all of its 2.6 million people were left alone to fight. This is what it looked like, friends. I don't know if you can see it. You see all these countries that are coming in and they're going to attack Israel. Look at this. I found this in a book. When Arab armies built up on Israel's borders, they had two times more soldiers, five times more tanks, four times more aircraft. There is no natural explanation for the fact that Israel will ultimately win what is known as the Six-Day War, but God. This, was, this blew me away, friends. This is part of history. I'm giving you a lot of history you probably never heard of before. Watch this. Did you know the Israeli government in 1967, when this war was starting, right going to take place, they estimated they were going to lose 100,000 lives. 
they were worried that all of the cemeteries would be full and they would have no place to put all of the bodies. You're looking at a real picture. There were men, women, and children in parks, in Tel Aviv, in Jerusalem, in other cities. And they were digging huge ditches to put the bodies of those that couldn't fit in the cemeteries. They were all on their own. Why wouldn't they think this? How is this little country going to survive against these other powerful nations in the Middle East as they all coalesced against them at one time? Isn't that powerful? This really happened. How about some quotes? Can I give you some quotes from some of the Arab leaders? Look at this one. This is from the uh, Syrian army, a Syrian defense minister. He said, the Syrian army with its finger on the trigger is united. I believe that the time has come to begin a battle of annihilation. The Iraq leader said this, the existence of Israel is an error which must be rectified. And you know why I love my God? Because I, I feel as if God was saying in 1967, hey, Muslim nations, why don't you come? Why don't you take the bait? Come on. Why don't you come on in? Come on in. You think you're strong enough? You think you're powerful enough? Why don't you try to take Israel out and you see what happens? You come against God and the apple of his eye, Israel, there are going to be problems. I'm not done yet. Can I talk about the miracles that took place in this war? Can I give us a higher picture of our God and what he thinks of Israel? Well, there is Operation Moked. This is what the name of the operation was. You see, Israel had very old planes. We had old planes that were given to, they were given to them by the French. And Israel was warned by the United States, by England, by France, by all these countries around the world, you better not attack do not attack. And Israel said, if we are going to survive, our only hope is to, is to launch out and make the first strike. We're going to attack. Operation Moked is where we took Israel, I'm saying we, where Israel took 200 plus planes and they said, we're going to fly right at Egypt, the most, power, they had the most powerful air force in the Middle East at that time, and we're going to take them out. They flew at an unprecedented 30 feet above the ground. Here, they only left 12 planes back at home. This was an all or nothing mission. Let me show you about how great our God is. You see, because miracle number one, there was a one-hour window of time. You can't make this stuff up. Israel went on the attack. They sent all of their planes in. There just happened to be one hour, critical hour, where Egypt said, and they told all of their anti-aircraft units, you are not to fire unless you're given orders because Egypt, Iraq, See, all these countries had military leaders that were in the air and they were looking at Egyptian troops as they made their way into the Sinai Peninsula. What are the chances that it would be at this one hour that Israel did not know that Egypt was not allowed to fire one shot into the sky, that Egypt would go in and they would wipe out half of Egypt's air force in 15 minutes? 15 minutes! They wiped out all of their airstrips. They wiped out everything. That's miracle number one. You enjoying this? Because I got a couple more. 
I told you it's different, but God, I'm so into this. Israel Air Force Commander Mito Had said in my wildest dreams, I never would have dreamed of such an incredible success. Never would have dreamed of this. The head of the Air Force. Here's miracle number two. A second wave of Israeli jets was sent to Cairo, Egypt to confront the rest of the Egyptian Air Force. So they no longer had the element of surprise. They flew in and this is, you got to play that again, Jamal. I'm feeling it when that music's on in the background. I'm feeling it. Only one Israeli plane was shot down when they went into Cairo. One plane was shot down. How do we account for this? These planes were old. Egypt had the newest MiGs. They had the state of the art. Only one plane would be shot down. That's miracle number two. And then another miracle took place. And it was as if God had hardened the heart of the Egyptian leader, Nasser. You know what Nasser did? He went on the airwaves and he made these bombastic claims that Egypt had wiped out Israel's air force and they were rolling into Jerusalem with their tanks and they were going to take over. That couldn't have been anything further from the truth. But that's what he told their people. Guess what? All of the other countries, Iraq and Jordan, these other countries that were surrounding, guess what they did? They wanted a piece of the action too. And they said, if this is really true, we want to go in and help annihilate the Jewish people because we hate them. It just so happens, friends, that the fighter jets that were in Egypt just happened to come back at the exact time. And every historian will tell you they just happened to be in the right place and every side, every border. And they took all these planes out. Because God says, this is my people, and Israel is my house, and Jerusalem is where my son is going to come back one day. How about miracle number four? Well, not, you know what? Yeah, I'll give you the top miracle. Why not? On the third day of the Six-Day War in 1967, the Israeli Defense Force powered its way into the old city, Jerusalem. They never thought they were going to get Jerusalem. They were just fighting for their existence. They went from fighting for their existence to beating these Arab countries to taking over the Holy Land. You got to love God. Give God a hand. This is a picture that I have, I wept all week when I saw this. Will you look at this? As the men made it into Jerusalem. And there they are at the Western Wall. We went there. We went there. We got to put prayers in the wall. Look at the soldiers are kissing. They're kissing this. And this one day, friends, I'm going to get to this later on. But this is where the third temple is going to be built. And there are plans that are in place. Everyone is talking about it. Plans in place for the building of the third temple. Things are happening so quickly. And then here, here, how about this one? Oh, I love this. IDF chief Rabbi Shlomo Gorin recognized the significance of this day. He is there on the right. This is him. Photographer got his picture. With Torah scroll in hand, they blew, somebody next to him, you see the man, he blew a ram's horn. Then he announced, we have taken the city of God. We are entering the messianic era for the Jewish people. 
We know as Christians we're waiting for the second coming. He's not alive. He was wrong. But guess what? He understood Old Testament prophecy. He understood that at least. To know the signs of things that were happening and things that are taking place. I got this in Joel Rosenberg's book. I thought this was great too. He said, in six days, the Jewish people defended themselves, destroyed their enemies, tripled their land. You see the before and the after. Look at this in the Sinai Peninsula. Recapture control of Jerusalem for the first time in 2,000 years. And on the seventh day, they rested. On the seventh day, they rested. Our God is a great God. Our God is a great God. More than 2,500 years ago, look what the prophet Zechariah said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. 2,500 years before this actually happened in 1967, this is what was prophesied. They shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. And can I give you one more? I promise, last one on this. I'm giving you a lot of scripture. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. Come on. Come on, bring it. You want to come after God's people? You're going to lose. The story has already been written and we're seeing it unfold. I have an announcement to make for all of the enemies of Israel. Israel is not going away anytime soon. Pharaoh tried to drown them in the Red Sea. Babylon tried to burn them. Sorry, Haman tried to hang them. And there's no Arab country on the earth right now. I don't care if they call on the name of Allah. No one is pushing Israel into the sea. Not happening. God's people. I said I had no more. I have a couple of more. I'm almost done. Dude, I'm giving, I'm throwing a lot of word at you today. Deuteronomy 32.10. Look at this. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Do you know what the apple of the eye is? The pupil. Do you want me to take my finger and put it in your eye and your pupil? How would that feel if I did that to you? Would you like that? Would you like it if someone did that to you? I don't think so. Do you understand what the prophet, uh, well, right here, but in the prophet Zacharias says the same thing, and I'm not going to read you that, but you can look at it. When God is saying this through his prophet. When God is saying this through his word, it's not you're attacking Jewish people, you're attacking him. And when countries go after him, it's as if they're taking their finger and trying to put it in God's eye. Israel is the apple of his eye and no one can win against them. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, friends. And then you look at today. Can I take you to today? Can I take you to today? How about what's going on today in the world? Can I show you this? Whether you, this is not, I'm not getting political. I am not getting political, but I'm sorry to tell you, last year, last year, what was the exact date? I got dates all over the place. December 6th, 2017, President Trump 
said, I am recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and we are moving... And we are moving the embassy, U.S. embassy, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. How about a president? I'm, listen, t- I'm not talking about his personal life. I'm not talking about other initiatives. As a Christian, I want a president who is in office that stands befi- behind Israel. That's what I want. I don't know about you. Really? I mean, I, listen, how come his predecessors didn't do it? Forget Obama. How come Bush didn't do it? How come Bush didn't do it? I thought he was a Christian. Well, here is a president who promised before he was elected that this would come to fruition, and he backed up that promise by doing it. And I'm here to tell you, five months ago, the embassy was opened up in Jerusalem. Did you know this goes all the way back? You probably can't see this. But this goes back all the way to the Jerusalem Embassy Act of 1995 that every president, every six months, they had to sign a waiver and they would sign a waiver saying that this wasn't going to happen. Every six months, this would happen from 1995 through 2017. God bless our president for having the guts and having the courage to back up Israel. Why do you think we're getting why do you think we're seeing favor? Why do you think the economy's booming? I'm sorry, but it's true. Once again, the enemy is, is chloroform in the atmosphere. This is from a preacher. I I I, I was so struck by this. Uh, Vance Habner, who was a, a preacher in the 20th century, said this at the end of the 20th century before he died. How true is this? The enemy doesn't want us to see this. He doesn't want us to realize, do you realize, can I just give you a little piece, a little like appetizer for future stuff to talk about? Did you know that one day the Bible says, most, most scholars, most people, there is going to be a peace agreement that takes place. I don't know if Trump is going to be the one to broker the deal. We don't know who it's going to be, but someone is going to broker a peace deal between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Can't, I, I know what he did, and you may go, well, this is hurting things. No! At the end of the day, this, I believe, and many people do, you're going to see it happen sooner rather than later. There's going to be a peace agreement. And what that triggers in terms of prophecy, I can't get into right now because I won't stop. This is what the enemy wants, though. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of English preachers. This is, I didn't plan on playing this music that long. I don't know if it's bothering you, but it's just playing, so Whatever. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon said this, you can sleep, but you can't induce the devil to close his eyes. You can sleep. We can go to sleep and pretend like the matrix. That's what he's talking about, right? Using using something from today, the prince of the power of the air keeps his servants well up to their work. If we could, with a glance, see the activity of the servants of Satan, we should be astonished at our own sluggishness. Astonished at our own sluggishness. He's lulling us to sleep. Prophecy, this is just the beginning. Our eyes have to be on the Middle East. Gorbachev, somebody who is not a Christian music team, you could start to come up. I got to wrap up before people fall asleep. When you look at what is happening in Israel, when you look at what is happening in Jerusalem, there is so much more. I got more. Where do I stop? I'm I'm not used to this. How about this? How about this? This is, 
Can I, get, can I just give you a long quote? I put it at the end. I didn't even know if I was going to use it. This was written in 1899. Can I, I, I kinda, maybe I'll sum it up this way. This would be a good way to sum it up. 1899, Mark Twain, the author. This is what he said about Israel. I think this would be a good way to, to maybe end and just see how great our God is. This is what he said. If the stats are right, the Jews constitute but 1% of the human race. It suggests a dim puff of stardust lost in the blaze of the Milky Way. Properly, the Jew ought hardly to be heard of, but he is heard of. He is as prominent on the planet as any other people, and his commercial importance is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, are also way out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. He has made a marvelous fight in this world, in all the ages, and has done it with his hands tied behind him. The Egyptian, the Babylonian, and the Persian rose filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed and made a vast noise, and they are gone. Other peoples have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out, and they sit in twilight now or have vanished. The Jew saw them all and beat them all. But God, I gave this sermon today because I believe for us it's dire that we realize the importance of how we're living our lives and what we're doing. The end, do I, does it take a rocket scientist just to look at things that are transpiring in the Middle East? To see that we're getting closer to the end and that indeed Christ is coming again? Jesus, no, no, no. Jesus Christ is coming again. He came hidden. We celebrate Christmas soon in an obscure place on the other side of the world in Palestine over the cover of darkness. And he made his way and he's born. Everyone is going to see him when he comes the second time. There'll be no mistake about it. When Jesus Christ comes and his feet hit the Mount of Olives, everyone will know. It's a time for us to be serious. It's a time for us to really take our Christian walk serious. It's a time for us as Christians too to back up what's going, on the, uh, uh, what's going on on the other side of the world with Israel. That we have a vested interest in what happens with Israel. And that we're to be watching and we're to be praying. And like the sons of Issachar, we're to know the signs of our times. What's more important, to go home and watch TV and watch sports and watch all these TV shows and watch all these movies and do all these inane things that mean nothing at the end of the day? How about forging meaningful relationships? How about coming out to a prayer meeting? How about coming out to an open church meeting? How about waking up and saying, you know what? I need to spend some time with other people because the hour is late. What are we going to do? Are you going to wait for the storm to hit? Something cataclysmic? Where, listen, Chris, where's Chris? Chris knows a heck of a lot more. He forgot more than I knew. No, about biblical prophecy. I don't know. I'm not an expert. Don't look at me. Listen, I'm not an expert at all. You know, I can't even, how many hours do you think I, I don't even know how many hours. And trying to winnow down what to just present in one little sermon. It's fun though, because it wakes me up and I see how great our God is. What, are you ready to sing? I'm done. I'm done. I gotta stop. People have you have lives. You have lives. Hey, and I have to get into. Listen, 
I'm going to get into it. I'm, not, I'm just going to give you maybe some of the stances. I mean, can we talk about what the rapture is? There's differing opinions on it. Are we pre-trib? Are we mid-trib, post-trib? I mean, there's so many things just to briefly look at so we can understand our faith. That bothers me when I look at all the Barna research and how many of us don't know anything. We don't know anything about eschatology. Isn't that my job? It's one of the things, I, you know, and I look at it as a preacher. I'll preach different kind of sermons. This wasn't a normal sermon today. I'm not really preaching. I'm teaching more and talking about history, but it's so important. It's so pertinent for the hour. I thank you for your attention. I love all of you. I love you. You're such an easy church. Even when things, I said, Pastor Linda, they're not going to be into any. This is going to be the most boring sermon. They're going to want me. When is this guy going to end? When is he going to stop? And you seem like you're into it. So that's good. Lord, Lord, I thank you for your people. Father, I just thank you for you people. Above all, though, I thank you that you are faithful. You are faithful to the end. I thank you that your promises never, ever return void. That if you say it, you put your life on the line. You sent your son into the world. Father, I thank you for how good you are. Lord, I ask in light of a sermon like this, in a series like this, that we would reevaluate where we are as Christians. We'd reevaluate and look at our, be good stewards. We'd look at our possessions. We'd look at how we're spending our time. All those things, and we'd say, we'd live in light of eternity. Father, take the scales off our eyes that the enemy has chloroformed this atmosphere. May we wake up to his devices, and he tries to lull us to sleep. Wake us up out of our stupor, Lord. It's a new day. It's a new day. And I thank you, Lord. I know that now I, as a preacher, have done my job in helping to bring a message like this to your people. Now it's up to your people, Lord, to take it and to digest it and to apply it to their lives. May it be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I promise, last thing. You know what was wild? I didn't tell you when I put up the trumpet. It just hit me. I'm sitting here. I'm going, oh, I forgot to say that. The Balfour Declaration was 1917. That was a year of jubilee in, in, in Israel. Oh, wow. 50 years later, 1967, Six Days War, year of jubilee in Israel. 2017, President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, stands up and says that, year of jubilee in Israel. You think that's a coincidence? There are no coincidences with God. Be looking, be watching, be listening, be prayerful for everything that's going on. We don't want to be caught asleep. All right, have... Have a great week. Have a great week. See you. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.